Welcome to Family Features, a podcast for anyone who wants to experience healthy relationships within their family. This is Dr. Corey Gilbert, and I'm honored to come alongside you to encourage, educate, and equip you as we focus on the different relationships that make us family. Let's get started and focus on today's feature. Hey there, welcome to the Family Features Podcast. My name is Dr. Corey Gilbert, and we are in 2021. It's amazing to think about that. I want to look today and over the next few episodes at a book that's very impactful. Uh, it's a 2018 book. It was actually um, New York Times bestseller, The Coddling of the American Mind. Now look at the subtitle, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. Now this is a call out on some things that we're doing that are actually really, really harming the future of our children, of our young adults, um, and society as a whole. And so I want to kind of highlight some of these over the next few episodes. And for, for this one, I want to look at the three bad ideas. So three things that we've done, again, that I like the wording of that, uh, the good intentions. There are, people are doing things, many people are doing things with good intentions that are actually having uh, really bad consequences. So the first bad idea, the truth of fragility. And then the subtitle of this one is, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Weaker. And interesting to think about. Now, it's ideas like don't put anyone on the spot, don't make any parent feel uncomfortable. Regardless of whether anyone is in the class is affected, these are the school rules. These kind of things set up a culture. And everywhere there's a culture, every home, every school, every church, every place you go, there is a culture. Um, but there's these three terms that, it, that we need to think about to kind of understand this one. It's the idea of anti-fragility, being fragile, and um, resilient. And we've heard these words, maybe fragile and resilient, but the anti-fragile is probably might be a new one to you. Uh, it's interesting to think about. So fragile is the idea that it can break easily, or this person can break easily, and cannot heal themselves. So you must handle them gently and keep them away from everything. Is that the way you're raising your children? That's as interesting to think about. Um, how you protect them and or overprotect them. Now, what does the word coddling mean? So the idea of this title is the coddling of the American mind. Coddling means overprotecting. We cannot do that and expect to have competent, healthy adults on the other end of this. And, and understandably so that many have and many of us do um, because of different things that have happened in society, our awareness of things, um, of abductions or other kinds of stuff that makes us afraid, and our own experiences. Resilient, though, is that they can withstand shocks, which is great. But there's this introduction of the idea of anti-fragility. Think about this. It requires, or anti, being anti-fragile requires stressors and challenges in order to learn, adapt, and grow. So the systems that are anti-fragile become rigid, weak, and inefficient when nothing challenges them to respond vigorously. Think about that. The three examples are muscles, bones, and children. They are all anti-fragile. If we do not, if we stay in bed, our muscles atrophy. They don't work like they're supposed to. We need, they need stress. They need to be used. Children need to have certain things, and we'll talk about that in a few episodes, uh, of what those are. But the idea of anti-fragile, we need to learn, adapt, and grow. We need stressors and challenges. You do, I do. We have created a culture where this is not possible. Now, another interesting term that I had not actually heard was the idea of safetyism. 
And so being safe is one thing, but then what we've done culturally, narratively, uh, conversationally with this term has actually put it into a very interesting and probably even scary space. And what we've done is we introduced emotional safety. Um, that's not, um, I'd say it's been very uh, tactful in ways it's been done, but it's actually not the intent of many who actually really are trying to do the best thing for their schools, their classes, their homes even. Um, safe places on campuses has, has been a problem. It's been on the rise, the idea of being triggered. Um, young adults, though, and I love this statement from their book, young adults are not flickering candle flames. <laughs> Think about that. We don't need to treat them like we're trying to protect a candle flame, but yet that's actually what's happening. This coddling and the university system is probably one of the worst right now. Trigger warnings, according to these authors, are counter-therapeutic because they encourage avoidance of reminders of trauma and avoidance maintains the PTSD. That's something I teach in my trauma therapy course that I've taught for you know 15 years or so is that part of the way that we undo the damage or undo the wiring of PTSD and other kinds of trauma is not retelling it and not running from it. It's being able to understand it. So listen to it, talk to it, um, kind of invite it to be and then understand how it impacts me. And then now I'm able to make choices to change, to grow. But what this safetyism is doing is it's putting a big barrier between a person ever getting help or ever growing or ever overcoming, which should really concern us. Safety is good, of course. This is a quote from them. And keeping others safe from harm is virtuous, but virtues can become vices when carried to extremes. That's where we're at today. We have taken this to an extreme. It refers to a culture or belief system which safety has become a sacred value. It sure has which means that people become unwilling to make trade-offs demanded by other practical and moral concerns. We are not able to have dialogue and conversation, and that is a must in academics especially. We've lost that a long time ago, but also in homes and in families and in a culture at large. And social media has definitely not um, helped this. It's made it worse. Safety ends up trumping everything else, no matter how unlikely or trivial the potential danger. And so we are, as parents even, potentially falling prey to this and coddling our own children with how we raise them and how we introduce or allow stressors and um, struggles as well. Safetyism is the cult of safety, an obsession with eliminating threats, both real and imagined. And that's a, that should be a great concern. Now, the second, um, that was, the first one was the idea of the truth of fragility. The second bad idea that has kind of entered our culture is the untruth of emotional reasoning. Always trust your feelings. Think about this. Nothing is miserable unless you think it is so. And on the other hand, nothing brings happiness unless you are content with it. You have choice. And so how you understand what you think and what you feel and your relationship to that is really important. So if what you feel is data, that's truth, we're in trouble. And we need to teach this. Emotional reasoning is the cognitive distortion that occurs whenever the writer, and picture, think of this picture, which represents our conscious or controlled processes, the intuitive, unconscious, and automatic. When the writer interprets what is happening in ways that are consistent with the elephants, so picture a writer on an elephant, that represents everything else 
that goes on in our minds, the vast majority of what, which is outside of our conscious awareness, and the reactive emotional state without investigative, investigating what is true. So the writer, and on the elephant, who's really in charge? So if the writer, think of, again, the conscious or controlled processes, and then the elephant representing everything else that goes on in our minds, the vast majority of which is outside of our conscious awareness, who's really in charge? The writer often believes he is in control. Yet the elephant is vastly stronger and tends to win any conflict that arises between the two. So if you think about your emotions and how much, how much weight you put to that data, which is kind of the way I, I call, what I call it, the writer has the ability to talk back to the elephant, particularly if he can learn to speak the language, the elephant's language, which is a language of intuition rather than logic. How I relate to the different parts of me are really important because it plays out how I live out my life. Um, another term that's kind of come from this is the idea of microaggressions, the triumph of impact over intent. So the definition here is these are brief and commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, or environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative racial slights and insults toward people of color. That's where it began. But aggression is not unintentional or accidental. So if you think about them, these, these don't fit because aggression is not unintentional. Aggression takes forethought, takes a choice. And so these, the, the culture of this has impacted also the way that we live, the way we do life, the way we do relationships, culture, church, family, social media, everything. Now, another piece of this, again, with emotions the disinvitations of the ideological vetting of speakers. So universities here. If a speaker makes some students uncomfortable, upset, or angry, then that is enough to justify banning that speaker from campus entirely because of the danger that the speaker poses to those students. And it's not even the speakers when what they might say is them being just present on campus. And it becomes, it poses a threat. We have a lot to do to undo some of the damage that's been done and our culture with this censoring and um, um, silencing. So cognitive behavioral therapy is actually a method anyone can learn from identifying common cognitive distortions and then changing their habitual pattern of thinking. And the, th the problem is, is we're not teaching this anymore. We're not teaching how to do that, that you can think something and actually realize, wow, that's not true, versus because I thought it, that's truth, or that's my truth, because I felt it, that's my, my feelings, and it's, again, 100% valid, if you will. Cognitive behavioral therapy helps the writer, again, controlling processes, processing, to train the elephant or automatic processing, resulting in better critical thinking and mental health. When I feel anxious, I need to not just feel anxious. I need to think about, so why do I feel anxious? What's causing that? When I'm going into a, a depressive state, I need to be able to have the wherewithal and people around me to help me process what led to this and how can I maybe work my way out of this? And yes, there are points in time where you need more intervention or you need a therapist or you need counselor or you need medications. But by encouraging students to interpret the actions of others in the least generous way possible, that's a scary way to put it, schools that teach students about microaggressions may be encouraging students to engage in emotional reasoning and other distortions while setting themselves up for higher levels of distrust and conflict. We are creating this problem. 
in our homes, in our schools, maybe even in our churches, where we're creating environments where actually, if you don't agree with me, I'm going to cancel you, I'm going to shut you down, I'm going to stop you, and we can't have dialogue. This is really, really scary. So the first one of these bad ideas, the truth of fragility. The second one, the untruth of emotional reasoning. We need to be careful with that. And the third one is the untruth of us versus them. The subtitle of that, life is a battle between good people and evil people. And this may kind of be hard to, to think through. It's It can get really personal as we think through ourselves and the way we might um, think about stuff. The two different um, idea of identity politics is the common humanity and the common enemy. Two different ways of going about this. The common humanity is kind of like what Martin Luther King Jr. did. The idea of humanizing their opponents and appeal to their humanity while also applying political pressure in other ways. That's one approach. A second approach, though, it's um, used very, very much by the far right and the far left. It's this idea of us versus them. And this should concern us as well. The majority of research that I've seen shows that the majority of people are kind of in the middle and really aren't playing those games. But there is a big, loud voice on the far right and the far left that's pitching a fit and doing an incredible job of changing culture. And we need to actually be aware and get involved and um, be intentional at, at undoing some of this. Intersectionality is a popular intellectual framework on campuses today, amplifying tribal thinking, encouraging students to endorse life is a battle between good people and evil people. And again, if you just say this enough, it's amazing what comes of it. The amount of people that show up to riot and half of them don't know what they're writing about. Um, it's just common group, kind of this tribal old way of thinking versus being able to think for yourself and actually being able to, to battle over, over ideas and have um, a mind of my own is really important. So these three bad ideas, where have they led or what's happened? The intimidation and violence is a big one. Words are violence and violence is safety. We've got to figure out something else to do here. This is not okay, which we'll talk about later. Um, why it is such a bad idea to tell students that words are violence. We do this probably even parents. Maybe as a parent you've said this, that words are violence. No, it's not. Now, can they harm? Yes. And then we need to undo that and we need to be asked for forgiveness. We need to be careful with our words. But by doing that, it creates a culture that's led to this really slippery slope that's actually this next one, the idea of witch hunts. The amount of professors and pastors that are just being taken down because of what they believe uh, or how they teach. Um, they seem to come out of nowhere, these witch hunts. They involve charges of crimes against the collective. Uh, the offenses that lead to those charges are often trivial or fabricated, which is happening a lot. And people who know, um, who know that the accused is innocent keep quiet. Yikes. Or in extreme cases, they join the mob. We need to be able to think through what's happening in our culture, what's going on today, and the idea of the coddling of the American mind is happening, and what are we going to do about it? Where your kids go to the university actually matters because it will change everything they believe and what they, what they stand for based off the kind of people that are inputting into them. One of the things that I love about being a college professor is I get this chance to really input into the minds of my students, and it changes their future. 
I love that I've got 15, 16 plus years of, of students that are out there doing stuff in the world and they're doing amazing things that I had the chance to input into. I've also seen others who I may have had a chance to input into them, but others did as well, and they've gone astray. They've, they're in a really dangerous place. They've got broken marriages and rough such stuff that's happened in their lives, and um, we need to help others think. And the university system is not doing that. We need to really rethink that whole system as well. We'll talk later about how did we get here, and we're going to also talk about, um, so what do we do with this when it comes to the coddling of the American mind, how good intentions, I feel like for some, for most of us, there's good intentions, but also bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. Hope this is helping you think, and I'll see you in the next one where we'll talk more about um, how did we get here. Thank you for tuning in to the Family Features Podcast. It has been an honor to serve. Find out more about Dr. Gilbert and his resources for you and your family's growth and success at HealingLives.com. And if you think you could use some support along the way, be sure to book that call at BookDrG.com. And one more thing, if you found this helpful, please share this podcast with others so that we can change the world together.